Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Matt Liner, and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scrap, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USB is five and seven and not going to a ball. Oh. All right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 315, coming to you on Wednesday, June 5th. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of good news, suddenly, for USC football, including Chris Steele, Brew McCoy, and Valus Jones are all Trojans. Or about to be Trojans, it seems. We're going to talk about that. Take your listener questions, a bunch of them. We have a huge mailbag in this episode, and so much more. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansided.com, and our phone number is 213 213- 373-1872. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. You know, it's been one of those off-seasons in which it seems like everything, literally everything, has gone against USC until like the last three weeks. It's, it's weird, isn't it? It's weird that all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the universe seems to have realized that it was, it was crapping on USC a little bit too much. Earlier in the season, it has basically undone everything. Like everything has been undone uh, in one form or another. And I'm particularly tickled that this this all happens in the same span of time that my soccer team, the Liverpool FC Reds, those great, great, great okay. Scouse heroes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. won the all Champions right. League, making okay. me, for the next 12 months at least, I, as a devoted Liverpool fan, am a champion of Europe. Um, first of all, Chelsea became champions of Europe before you guys. Uh, like on Wednesday, th- we became champions of. They're Europe. the little brothers of the champions of Europe. We'll, just, and we'll settle it on on August fifteenth with with the European Super Cup. The two Either champions way. of Europe will become will crown whoever is the real true champion of Europe. But the point is, the point is, people are, people are turning off their 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 podcasts. No, no, left no there's a right. point. There's a point to this. There's a point to this. We, this week, are going to be recording, finally, after talking about it for weeks, our superstitions episode. Talking about superstitions, and one of my best superstitions of the last year or so has been this theory I have that there is this transference between Liverpool and USC, where 
the better Liverpool does, the worse USC does. And the better USC does, the worse Liverpool does. And it's sort of tracked for quite a while now, like, like scarily close tracked. And all of a sudden, the one of the great days in Liverpool history happens on Saturday and and all of these good things happen around USC. So like the superstition is broken, that the curse is broken. USC is allowed to have nice things. Liverpool is allowed to have nice things. I'm allowed to have nice things. And it's all coming together. It's it's a time to celebrate, Michael. You're allowed to have nice things too. Chelsea wins the, the Europa League. Like, you know, good things are happening. Like, I don't know. It, bad things have been happening for so long in my sports life. I don't know how to process what is going on right now. Like, I'm almost bracing for, you know, the waking up from the dream. Like, what's going on? Yeah, well, two-time state champion Narbon is under investigation. So things are not <laughs> too great for me right now. So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But things are good for the podcast because we got a new review on Apple's Apple Podcasts, I guess. iTunes is no longer a thing. I think I need to train myself to stop saying iTunes. iTunes has been killed off. Um, But Apple Podcasts is a thing. We got a review. And uh, at least you want to read it. Yeah, the review is titled Reina Troy Podcast. It is five stars. It's from All Mad and Mom. And she says, the information and entertainment Michael and Alicia provide both in and out of the season, have built a community for Trojan fans. No matter where we live or when we graduated or became fans, Rock connects us. They provide perspective and an emotional outlet in the rant line and hope that we are just one game away from our next big win. Great job, fun fun podcast, fight on, Judy from South Bend. So thank you so much, Judy. That is a very, very touching uh, review. As we always say, when people give us reviews like that, that is precisely what we're going for. So we're glad that that comes across. Yeah. And Judy's awesome. We we met Judy in Austin. Yeah. I mean, Ju- Judy would have to be awesome being a Trojan fan in, living in South Bend. Yeah. I'm surprised you, you didn't want to stay in South Bend after you went to Notre Dame. <laughs> I've only been to South Bend once in my life, for the record. So is it like an online program, like like ASU? <laughs> like is that what it is? Oh my god! All right, let's just get to the news. So there's a bunch of it. We'll be right back. So let's start with the big news. USC has gotten a bunch of big news. I like to the point that I don't even know what's bigger at this point. But we're gonna go with what is the newest shiny toy, and that is the steel one, the Chris Steel, uh, who USC has stolen from Oregon. Um, he originally signed with the Florida Gators after being committed to USC. He said he was going to transfer. He committed to Oregon. He went up to Eugene, took pictures in an Oregon jersey and the whole bit. But he hasn't enrolled in Oregon yet. Oregon's not in school right now. And he's not going to because according to a report from the Oregonian, he is going to USC. Alicia, this feels monumental in a lot of different ways because it ties into USC getting Brew McCoy back. Suddenly, out of nowhere, USC is on the verge of signing like four of the top six state recruits out of California, two of them being Drew McCoy, but still four of top, the top six. 
Well, considering the fact that on this podcast, we talked about how USC only getting one of the top, what was it, 10 recruits in California, I think it was like two of the top 20 or something like that, was weird that it was a sign that USC had really slipped up in the recruiting. And what's ultimately happened in in the last month, essentially, the last couple of weeks, is that's been totally turned around. If, If USC had gone into the 2019 recruiting class, finished up that class with Chris Deal and Brew McCoy and Kyle Ford... And, uh, and and they'd also, you know, gotten Drake Jackson in that group. It would have felt like, you know, not the greatest USC recruiting class, but a typical USC recruiting class, right? The way that it – so that's where – that's USC's endgame right now. The way that this has all come together, though, is just mind-blowing. The way that things went so wrong that by the, the February signing day, we were looking around and thinking like, man, this is a really subpar USC recruiting class compared to what they normally do. To, to now where you can say you you did ultimately land Brew McCoy even though he enrolled at Texas and to say that you did ultimately enroll Chris Steele even though he was at spring camp in Florida like it's it's a weird saga that's really uh that really shows how things had gotten very very bad for USC but since that signing period since that signing day in February, and maybe you set aside all of the stuff with Lynn Swan and the little controversies that have popped up here or there that make things look not great. Since spring camp started, essentially, it's been a steady little trickle of positive of maybe things aren't as bad as they seem. Maybe USC is going to come out of this to this waterfall of just great news. I mean, you, you st- USC hadn't had a commit in, in it felt like forever. And then all of a sudden they get Jack Yeri who commits to USC in the middle of last week. And then the Brew McCoy stuff that was like a whisper that you were like, oh, yeah, no, that's not happening. And then all of a sudden, wait, what for real is happening? And then the Chris Steele stuff that's like, no, nah, that's not happening. And then wait, what is really happening? And then you you throw Valus Jones uh, sticking around with USC instead of transferring on top of that. And you just you just basically now have this big snowball effect of positive momentum where, you know what, kids are buying back into the program. Uh, and, and, and the changes that USC made in the spring, the changes to the coaching staff, the changes to the culture, you still have a long way to go with those to prove that they're real. But the feeling around the program, this, the, 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 the sense around the program has all of a sudden flipped on its head. There's a pulse again. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing is too, like, we're going to talk about Brew McCoy. We're going to talk about Valus Jones, but like, those were good news for USC, but not world-changing news. Getting Chris Steele is a game-changing thing because, uh, you know, Chris Steele is going to have to to apply for a waiver from the NCAA in order to play immediately because of the transfer, but I think he's going to get that waiver. Some of the background on Chris Steele uh, transferring from Florida is that uh, reportedly he had a dispute with Florida's coaching staff. He had requested to change dorms because he was uncomfortable with uh, one of his roommates, who was another uh, Florida football player, and they didn't accommodate that request in a timely manner. That uh, roommate of his was ultimately accused of sexual battery uh, by a couple of of, uh, female students at Florida. And um, Chris Steele, shortly after that, decided to transfer away. And when news broke of his transfer, there was a big um, uh, outcry of support from the college football community, particularly the the people like Brenda Tracy, who is a uh, sexual assault uh, victims advocate who works very closely with sort of student athletes, 
uh, about she has a campaign that's called set the stand set the expectation uh and she had spoken at the opening where chris Steele had had uh had attended the year before and so chris Steele's transfer sort of became this a little bit of like a, of a rallying cry for this is how you set the expectation this is how you show that uh that that um the that you will put your money where your mouth is as far as responding to issues of of sexual assault and 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 that kind of that kind of thing so regardless of what chris Steele ultimately you know the reasons why he he was transferring or any of that kind of stuff it isn't inexorably linked now to that side of of the of the of the topic that's on that's very very popular in sports right now right so chris Steele is going to be applying for a waiver and i can't imagine the ncaa saying no, we're not going to give you a waiver to play immediately. You've become the poster child for how to act in the face of of um, misconduct by a teammate. And yet we're going to make you sit out a year. When just a few months ago, we looked at Tate Martell, who transferred from Ohio State and got, applied for a hardship waiver at Miami because Urban Meyer left. And he was given that waiver. And other players have been given waivers for the tiniest little things. I can't, I mean, granted, I can't imagine because the NCAA is tone deaf, but like, this is an instant where I think Chris Steele is going to have a really strong waiver claim, which means that Chris Steele is potentially going to be able to contribute right away for USC in a position of dire, dire need. Yes, wide receiver is a position of need for USC when it comes to Brew McCoy, but he won't be eligible. He will almost certainly sit out. And when it comes to Bayless Jones, uh, that he will be helpful at wide receiver, but he's, Bayless Jones is, is a, depth thing for USC. Chris Steele is a potential day one starter for USC at corner. And USC's corner situation was much, much, much more dire than it was at wide receiver. So you cannot understate how big of a, you cannot overstate, sorry, how big of a get it is to bring in Chris Steele at this stage. Yeah, it's just massive, uh, especially given Everything, you know, given how SC had a commitment from him last summer and then ultimately lost it. Uh, and I I know that, you know, it's it's kind of we're, we're in a, a time where no one wants to give Clay Helton credit for anything. And I get why 100 percent. We've talked about it a million times. But you have to look at the positives of him being the nice guy players coach when you look at Chris Steele still considering USC after everything that went down. When you look at Brew McCoy coming back after everything that went down and Valus Jones and all that stuff, a lot of people want, and we, we see this all the time on, on the internet, on on Twitter, in, in our comments, on com, on message boards, when a, a kid picks another school, oh, the hell with them, you screw them, blah, blah, blah. You know, fans being angry, right? Clay Hilton has always taken the high road with all that stuff. And what has it done? It's allowed Chris Steele to still come back to SC after being committed. It's allowed Brew McCoy to come back after transferring to Texas. And it's allowed Valus Jones to come back after being into the transfer portal and, and coming back again. And those are three big rights to wrongs that USC had kind of had um, in the offseason. And that's huge for a team that is coming off of a five and seven t- season. Absolutely huge. Yeah, the positive vibe that USC was able to create in camp, combined with the coaching changes that USC made that were largely seen as positive, uh, to just 
the persona that Clay Helton is because, and we have this conversation all the time, right? There is a perception of Clay Helton as a coach, but no one, no one who is around Clay Helton as a person has ever said a bad word about Clay Helton. Like that, that is a factor to here. That is a factor to as far as parents who are willing to send their sons to play for him, uh, the, the, the players who feel like he is a genuine voice who they can trust to go back to, even with Chris Steele, who clearly had misgivings about coming to USC because he ultimately decommitted from USC. But I think you're very right to say, you know, Clay Helton has to get some credit for that. He has to because a different environment at USC wouldn't have had this happen. Like, this is weird. This is unique. And I think it's partly unique because... Clayton is who he is. And that doesn't mean that he's the right coach for USC. That doesn't mean that he's suddenly going to win national titles at USC or anything like that. The ship could still be, you know, sinking in, in, in the same way that it was before. But it does say something about the, uh, the, the vibe that he gives the program in the personal sense that this is even possible. Yeah, 100%. Um, in terms of the Chris Steele report that we mentioned from the Oregonian, uh, it is coming from now multiple sources. Uh, Andrew Nemec was the writer at the Oregonian and Oregon Live who mentioned this on Tuesday night. So look for some sort of you know more official announcement at some point probably this week along with Brew McCoy. Brew McCoy uh, officially transferring out of Texas at the end of last week after we recorded our episode, episode 314. After Texas kind of put everything together to try to make that not happen, they went on a full-court press with head coach Tom Herman, offensive staffer Drew Merringer, and quarterback Sam Ellinger all came out to California to try to keep him after Brew McCoy had kind of left Texas after school ended. But he entered the transfer portal anyways uh, and released a statement via Greg Biggin saying, quote, After a lot of thinking and talking with my family, I've decided to leave UT and return home. This is purely a personal decision and is no re- and is no reflection on the University of Texas. It has been an honor and a privilege to be part of the UT community. UT is a fantastic school and an exceptional football program. I have the utmost respect for Coach Herman, his staff, and the players. There's no mention of USC there. And it feels like a lot of this is dotting your your eyes, crossing your T's, making sure you're doing everything by the NCAA textbook um, rulebook, I guess you would say, and um, waiting for for SC to take care of the rest. Yeah, well, uh, Scott Schrader of, uh, of Trojan Insider tweeted on Monday, and there were other reports as well, uh, or tweeted on Tuesday that... Chris Steele and Brew McCoy were both on USC's campus on a visit on Monday. So Brew McCoy is clearly, USC is, you know, on the radar there. Uh, multiple reports from pretty much everywhere say Brew McCoy is coming to USC. It's just not official at this point. And I agree with you. I think it's it's really that they're taking care of business. He needs to get in the transfer portal. He needs to do it all by the book. Uh, so that uh, there's no questions of tampering or anything like that when it comes to him landing back at USC. So uh, it's I, I I think it's just a matter of time, uh, and it's just basically playing the waiting game until that comes through in an official way. Yeah, and when he says return home, um, Cal yeah. State Fullerton doesn't have a football team anymore. Yeah. Neither does Long Beach State, 
um, the the sharks or whatever the hell they are now. Could always land at UCLA. Yeah, but I, I they were never really in the the true mix for him as a recruit. Yeah. So I, I I don't know. Uh, yeah, he's he's coming to SC. Just wait for an official word on him and Steele uh, later this week at some point, probably. Yeah, and the big difference between Brew and uh, and Chris Steele, as I mentioned earlier, is that it, it doesn't look like there's going to be any avenue for Brew McCoy to be eligible for USC. I, I'm sure he'll apply for the waiver. I just can't imagine. Basically, the NCAA doesn't consider homesickness to be a hardship. Uh, so th- it's it just feels really unlikely that Brew is going to get the waiver. So he's going to have to probably sit out the 2019 season. But as we talked about before, that could work out all right for USC because you really need Brew for 2020 more so than 2019 at this point. The other thing to consider is that, you know, uh, I wonder, I wonder if Chris Steele comes to USC, if Brew McCoy doesn't come to USC. Like, I feel like there's something about the wave of positive momentum that USC's had, the way that all of this has sort of piled up, like maybe it made the decision easier for Chris Steele to pull the trigger on 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 backing away from Oregon and and jumping on board. Because if, if Bruce jumping on board, then, you know, everybody's on board. Uh, so, yeah, I, I wonder, like, it's it's weird the way that that all, fe- it all feels like it's interconnected in some way. Yeah, the, the stars are seemingly aligning for USC out of nowhere. Um, the other person to mention that you mentioned earlier was Valus Jones returning. Uh, he announced via Twitter, it feels great to be a Trojan, can't wait to get back to work with my brother's wartime with a couple of emojis. This is a big deal for USC. Um, we can talk about depth, but I want to be clear, and Valus Jones tweeted out this too, Like he didn't come back for depth. He came back to play. Um, and in USC's offense, uh, with Graham Harrell, with the air raid, He's going to play. He's going to get a lot of run. He had 24 catches, 266 receiving yards, and a touchdown in 2018. Expect that to at least stay the same, if not grow, because there's going to be a lot of times where SC is going to be able to go four or five wide receivers. We didn't see much of that before. They're probably going to go to four wide receivers all the time. And you look at the the receivers that SC has, probably the most talented wide receiver core from one to six ever at USC. Seriously, ever. Uh, SC's had great receiving cores in the past, but it was really once you get past the, the third guy, you start to get to your Chris McFoy's. No no offense to Chris McFoy, but Chris McFoy is not Amon Ross St. Brown. So there, there's, a, there's a difference here, and you look at USC's receiving core, and now with Valus Jones back, you can, you can go out there this fall and throw out a five-wide set, if if you wanted to, with Michael Pittman and Tyler Bonds and Amara St. Brown and Valus Jones and Devin Williams, and you could still have Kyle Ford and potentially Brew McCoy if he somehow gets eligible for this year on the bench. That's insane. Yeah, and don't forget John Jackson the third and Drake uh, yep. Drake London and Munir McLean and yeah, mm-hmm. no, I, I agree. Like. We talk, I mean, we, talk, we just talked about this last week, Michael. Dave and OC asked, who would you most want to pull a brew and come back? And Valus was mentioned. Valus was, was one of those guys that you looked at and thought, man, in the air raid, Valus Jones, Trayvon Sydney, these guys would have killed 
They they would have gotten so much run. They would have gotten so much production. It's a shame they're leaving. And Valus obviously has seen that and 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 will definitely, you know, I, I'm curious how USC is going to do their designations for starters, quote unquote. So Valus Jones might not be a starter, but Valus Jones is going to get t- targets. He's going to get more targets than he got, you know, 24 catches, 266 yards that last year. Those numbers are going up. And last year he was a starter for USC. So it's going to be he's going to have a lot of fun in this offense. No question, because in spring camp, USC was having to use Michael Pittman in the slot. Like and I I actually really I, I enjoy watching Michael Pittman in the slot. But the point is, Valus Jones fits what USC is going to be looking to do on, in those inside receiver positions perfectly. Yeah, and I just want to see how they're going to use him in general. I'm, I have so much more confidence in Graham Harrell to use him than T. Martin ever used him. Uh, I just go back to Valus Jones's rushing statistics in two years as as USC's sort of replacement to Dory Jackson. He has 11 carries for 28 yards and a touchdown, an average yards per carry of 2.5 yards out of the fly sweep. And that's all. That, that was all. That's not Valus Jones. That's all the play. Yeah, those those plays were never designed to work. Exactly. We, what, what did we say? You could put a Dory Jackson in those plays and they wouldn't work. Like they were just poorly right. designed plays. They were never going to work. And it was interesting on, on Tuesday, um, USC made the top five for this kid out of St. Louis, Mookie Cooper. He's a four star wide receiver, but he's like a wide receiver all purpose back. So he he catches passes, but he also they also run him out of the out of the backfield as well. And I was looking, like watching the huddle video of Mookie Cooper and thinking to myself, like, man, if this is the guy that USC is kind of recruiting, this will be a role that USC has on this team as like an all-purpose receiver, not necessarily an all-purpose running back, but an all-purpose receiver. Like, and, and then I, and then just listening to you talk about that for a second, it just sort of clicked in my head. That could be Valus Jones. Yeah. That could be Valus Jones this year in, in the sense that you can put Valus Jones in the backfield. And yeah. use him like that, and it won't be those stupid jet sweep things. The play design, based on what we've seen in spring and based on what we know about Graham Harrell, will be designed to put him in a position to succeed and not end up with him, you know, two yards and tackled. Yeah, it would seem like it would be an improvement. <laughs> yeah. Two, two yards and tackled isn't isn't always the uh, the, the best game plan. Um, and even Adori, I, I thought they struggled with the Dory in those situations. Because it always seemed obvious that Adore was going to get the ball. Um, he, if he was in the game, he was going to get the ball. That's how it was going to work. So even his numbers, which are 15 carries for 92 yards as a rusher, weren't that great. 6.13 yards per carry. Obviously, three, almost three times as good as Phelous Jones, but still not that great for someone who is that explosive, right? For For a high-leverage play like that should be that that should be a play that you should be really taking advantage of the defense and SC wasn't doing that even with the Dory um I want to see what they can do with Bayless Jones and using him like Percy Harvin using him like you know back when Oregon State had um James Rogers uh he was really good with the fly sweep and if it's gonna work great if not find another way to do that similar concept in a way that will work and I think that Graham Harrell uh, is more prone to figuring that out. Um, last bit of news before we open up a huge mailbag, and literally I mean huge, like it's our biggest mailbag in a while uh, with a bunch of calls. Uh, let's get to the new bowl game 
uh, bids for the Pac-12. Uh, this is super exciting, even though you're going to be really sad in a second when I give you some bad news here. But <sighs> Sigh. I know, I know. But there's good news. Uh, so these are the new bowl games. First things first, uh, this is a, in, a, in a report from Stadium. Um, the NCAA granted the Pac-12 an additional bowl bid in the new cycle, and the Pac-12 is expected to add the Los Angeles Bowl versus the Mountain West and the Independence Bowl versus the ACC. The Pac-12 will also play against either the SEC or Big Ten in the new Las Vegas Bowl. Adding two bowls, the Pac-12 had to drop one, and it's expected to be the Cheez-It Bowl. Sorry. I literally have a a, a box of Cheez-Its right next to me while we're recording this. And I'm gonna I'm gonna pour one out pour one out for the Cheez-Its. I, now, I was listening to a podcast the other day talking about some friend of theirs on the podcast I was listening to who eats Cheez Its with milk like it's cereal. I have done that. I I have Wait, tried hold, it. No, you're 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 No, you're I'm not kidding. Leg. I'm not kidding. I've I've done it. I've tried it. No. It no. no. It's, it, I'm for real. I've tried it. I have learned a lot of things about you over the years. <laughs> this is the most disturbing one of all of them. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay. So, you're, you're you're pulling. I I literally do not believe that you would do something so ridiculous. No, I've tried it. I I I tried it. I was disappointed. The Cheez Its are better without the milk. I will dip uh, cheese. Uh, I could have told in- you that. I mean everyone listening could have freaking told you that. Right, but I just want I tried it once. Like I, I thought maybe this will like Im- Why? enhance because I I because how I was, could it have enhanced anything? I've dipped Cheez Its in pudding. I've dipped Cheez Its in oh my god ice cream. And, I've and you guys want to want to bag on me for my I food love takes? Cheez Its in in uh, honey mustard. Oh um, my god. Yeah, yeah. Let's just so, talk about football. The, Can we just on, talk about the bowl games? Hold on, hold on. The point is though, bring this back to the Cheez It Bowl. I was so very invested in going to the Cheez It Bowl, and that was a possibility. So. So basically what I learned this week is the these new bowl tie-ins start next year. Yes. That means the Cheez-It Bowl hope, my dream of the Cheez-It Bowl is alive in 2019. So I I You're praying the SC goes six and six. I just tweeted, I just tweeted on Tuesday night that USC will not go six and six. USC will either go three and nine or ten and two. Like there is no in between, I've decided. But now I'm hardcore rooting for six and six because six and six means the Cheez It Bowl. And it's my last opportunity for USC in the Cheez It Bowl. And Mm -hmm. I like And you're very selfish. Yeah. I need it. I need it. I'm willing to sacrifice this, guys. Sacrifice the entire season for the Cheez-It Bowl. Well, hopefully there's not like 12 picks in that game, just like last year's Cheez-It Bowl. Uh, But let's run down these new bowls, uh, even though most of these are the same. So Pac-12 number one goes to the Rose Bowl against Big Ten number one. You already knew that. Pac-12 number two will face Big 12 number two in the Alamo. Uh, It is really interesting to me how much oomph they're giving to the Alamo Bowl. They really want to make the Alamo Bowl happen, don't they? They really do. And then there's Pac-12 number three, which will be going to the new Las Vegas Bowl. Uh, I, I say new because the LA Bowl that we're going to get to in a, in a few moments here is essentially the old Vegas Bowl. Think of what the Vegas Bowl has been for you know the last 15, 20 years. 
that's essentially going to be the LA Bowl, which previously was the Freedom Bowl. So just imagine the Freedom Bowl is back and it's going to be in Inglewood instead of Anaheim, which is going to be in LA instead of Vegas. Uh, but this Vegas Bowl uh, is going to be against S- the SEC or the Big Ten. They're going to alternate every year between the Belk Bowl. So if the SEC is in the Belk, the Big Ten will be in Vegas Bowl and vice versa. And here's the interesting thing. It's going to be Big Ten number four against Pac-12 number three. But when it's the SEC, who the hell knows? The SEC does this weird-ass thing where they don't order their bowls. They put them kind of in a pool. So there's... They call it like a like a pool of like six bowl games that they have, which will be the Vegas and Belk alternating, the Texas, the Outback, the Gator, the Music City, and the Liberty. Those bowls in the SEC could have SEC number three through SEC number eight. So Pac-12 number three could play the unequal Pac- uh, SEC number three team, or they could play the the eighth team out of the SEC. Is that how the SEC, like, is that a way for the SEC to rig the bowl system in their favor like i don't actually know i don't know what like i've tried to look this up and without like going through and just breaking it down year by year i i I don't know exactly what the rationale is i i I, my assumption is that they don't they do that so that that way they're not sending the same people to the same bowls every year i guess that makes sense which i i which is why the pac-12 has a one game leniency where you can you can sandbag and pick a, a team below as long as they're within one game of the of the team that's that's due to be picked next. Um, maybe that's their way around it. I don't know, but but it is an interesting thing. Um, so who knows who the hell the Pac-12 is going to play there? Uh, and then Pac-12 number four plays in the LA Bowl against Mountain West number one. Uh, then the Holiday Bowl is moving even farther down the pecking order. Uh, so it's going to be number five in the Pac-12 against number four in the ACC. Number six in the Pac-12 is in the Red Box Bowl against Big Ten number seven. Number seven of the Pac-12 is going to the Sun against ACC number seven. And lastly, the new one as the Independence Bowl, which will have Pac-12 number eight against ACC number 10. The Independence Bowl is in Shreveport, Louisiana. That's the uh, congratulations for the last Pac-12 team that uh, gets bowl eligible. Yeah. Congratulations. You're heading to Shreveport. Sounds exciting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They yeah. should rename Sa- that like the, the John David Booty Bowl. Sa- saving, saving, up my, uh, saving up my miles already for that one. Yeah. We could just go to Dallas and just drive from there. There you go. That'd be fine. Um, but I, I like these bowl bids because there's some variants in here. Uh, there, there's some new stuff. They've added some wrinkles. I like that. But I think the most interesting thing here, there's no unfavorable tie-in. I mean, you know, the Independence Bowl is against ACC number 10. The Sun Bowl is even seven out of the Pac-12, seven out of the ACC, right? Um, and I know the ACC has more teams in the Pac-12, so that might be a lopsided in that sense. But all these matchups seems to be that the Pac-12 is going to be in a good spot to definitely compete if not have an advantage um against these other schools yeah the only time it gets a little dicey is if your fourth pac-12 team is particularly weak and the mountain west has a particularly strong number one which has uh, always but, been the case with the, well, and the, that's the, the vegas and, bowl is always prone to that dynamic difficult yeah yeah and and the thing is if the mountain west number one is particularly good then they might be in line for uh for a new year's six bowl anyways so 
you know, I agree with you. I, I think that these are all if the if the big if the Pac-12 is losing these bowl matchups, then they can't claim that it's anything to do with anything except for that they're falling short in terms of how they're well, playing. I won't go that far. I mean, I mean, there will be coaching changes. There'll be players sitting out and right, all that kind right. of stuff. That will that will have a lot to say at the end of the day. But uh, as it's put together, I like this bowl match. Uh, th- this list of bowl games way better than anything I could have hope for like 10 years ago think of what they were 10 years ago and 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 what it is now so much better i'm super excited for the vegas stuff to see how it all comes together but let's get to the mailbag we got a bunch of voicemails emails and stuff we'll get to that up next you've got mail all right, Lisa, let's start with the voicemail we got from Sean in beautiful Austin, Texas. What up, Raina Troy? Sean from beautiful Austin, Texas. I uh, just want to say I, too, am coming back to USC. <laughs> Wait, is that uh, so Brew That's McCoy the whole isn't, That's isn't, the whole isn't the only Texas uh, Texas def- de- de- defector? No, it, it's Sean. We, we we finally got Sean from beautiful Austin, Texas to, to come back into his USC fandom. Sean, Sean from beautiful... Beautiful. Sean from the USC family. I, I think that works. Uh, let's go to a voicemail we got from a robot in the 909. Hey, Trojan Nation. I just want to say it's uh, Brew McCoy and Vilas Jones are going to be returning to the team. There's no excuse now. We have new quarterbacks, uh, new coach, uh, new offensive coordinator, um, and you have two of the top talents in the country. So we really should air the ball out and have a good day throwing the ball at this point. Yeah, thanks for the call, uh, unnamed Robot. But yeah, pretty much. I mean, when you look at when you look at USC's receiving core, they have done. They already had a strong receiving core. It was just thin. You put Brew in it. You get Valus Jones back for this year, and all of a sudden, your your strength in depth start really, really, really starts to grow, and it it. It's a potential game changer for USC because now, and I said this in the in on Patreon. I did a snap take um, after this happened, and and we said that in in that USC can now deal with an injury or two, like before an injury or two was would have been devastating for USC in the receiving core. Now, if Michael Pittman has to sit out a couple games, it's not the end of the world because you, you do have some guys who have proven that they can step up and and step right in and productive the the problem still is that in terms of total numbers they're not as high as graham harrell wants them to be uh d- didn't he say that he wanted something like 15 receivers or something well, like North that texas he he had 15 receivers yeah so th- they're nowhere near those numbers um so i st- i still think that you're gonna see like the, a walk on like like uh like jack russell get in there or something like that but i i i, I see on the offensive side of things, yeah, everything's coming together in the point of, yeah, there really aren't excuses. If you can't win with this talent, then it wasn't meant to be. And um, that's the situation that Clay Helton has put himself in. And that's the situ- and Clay Helton has done everything on the offensive side of the ball um, that he should have done given the way last season went. Um, he needed to go out and get a good offensive coordinator. He got one in Cliff Kingsbury. That didn't pan out because Cliff Kingsbury got a better offer that he couldn't refuse. And then Clay Helton got 
I don't want to say the next best thing, but the next best thing, right? Like the the closest thing that he could have got to the spirit of what Cliff Kingsbury was, was Graham Harrell in a lot of ways. And that's what you needed to do. You needed to go out and get someone who brings an offensive identity to USC that that is concise, that is smart, that is efficient, that is going to give you the best chance to win and put your players in a position to win. And when you have the talent that USC has, there's always an opportunity. And for everyone that says that, you know, Clay Helton can only win if his if his players carry him. Well, look at look at the roster. There's a lot of talent where that can happen. So, 100%. If if SC's not winning games, what is the culprit going to be? More than likely, it's going to have to be Clay Helton, right? Like that's just going to be the bottom line because he's he's made the changes that he had to make. Yeah, and that's why this is very much a year where it's put up or shut up. They were able to make excuses in 2018. Those excuses aren't going to fly in 2019. For sure, 100%. Uh, Let's get to a tweet from Julie Madden who says, My hubby is a big Notre Dame fan. Their podcast last week had them saying USC has the four best receivers of anyone that they will face this year. They're all on the same team. Make that five with Valus Jones. I really hate feeling so helpful after last year. I told myself I wouldn't be, but I can't help myself. LOL. Alicia, it does really feel like USC has the most talented receiving core in the country. Neither of us watch enough college football of every single team to definitively say yes or not Phil Steele or not Kirk Herbstreit. But it sure feels like it'd be really difficult to have a, a receiving core that from, you know, one through five, one through six, one through seven, however you want to put it, with your receivers is more talented than USC. Yeah, and, and I think that I think that a lot of it will come down to do Michael Pittman and Tyler Vons live up to the talent that we know that they have. I think the biggest problem with USC's receiving core over the last uh, couple of years has just been consistency. And I I know that uh, banking on guys suddenly becoming consistent is is sometimes a losing proposition. But as guys get older, they get more experience. They do tend to settle in, and I think that Michael Pittman and Tyler Vaughn's are are in a position now, especially in this offense, where we if we don't see the best from them this year, then they don't have what we think their best is. And so I'm I'm quite excited to see what all of these guys are able to achieve because for once I, I feel very confident in USC's ability to get the best out of these players, in USC's ability to put guys into positions to succeed. And I I, I think that's going to work in, you know, in Michael Pittman's favor, in Tyler Vaughn's favor, in Amon Ross St. Brown's favor, and in Bayless Jones's favor in particular. Yeah, I think the interesting thing is I've been looking I, – I want to do a bunch of reading of the college football previews. I want to just start scouring through all that stuff. But one of the articles that I found from 247sports.com was a ranking of the top 25 receivers in the country. SC only has one guy on that list, and it's Amon Ross St. Brown at number 21. That is wild to me. Like, maybe our perspective is just completely, you know, misguided and we're just, you know, commenting about USC because that's what we know more than anything else. But it seems crazy that SC only has one receiver in the top 25. 
But then again, you look at the numbers that Michael Pittman put up last year, and that Tyler Vaughn's put up last year. None of those numbers jump out at you. It's just we know the potential that those guys have. Um, they have All-American potential if everything comes together. It's just a matter of actually putting it together and going back to that call from a few minutes ago. There's no more excuses anymore. Yeah, and I think in, in particular, Michael Pittman is being underrated going into this year. He, he like... Amon Ross St. Brown has the most potential of any receiver on USC's roster, but today Michael Pittman is the best receiver on USC's roster, no question. And and he has the advantage of being older, and uh, and and wiser, and you know all the experience and stuff like that. But Michael Pittman is really set up. The only question I have for my, I have questions about Tyler Vaughn's and his consistency and his, um, where his head is at in the game at all times. With Michael Pittman, my only question is, will his body hold up? If his body holds up, then Michael Pittman will be one of the best receivers in the Pac-12 at the very least uh, this coming year. At the very least, if not, you know, if not the country. So I'm very confident of that. But I've also gotten to see a lot more of Michael Pittman than a lot of people uh, out there because I get to see him in practice every day and because I know the story behind his injury problems and his unavailability more or less uh, that that would sort of make him fly under the radar for national people i guess yeah uh, it's just a matter of putting it on tape and showing everybody what he can do uh let's go to a voicemail we got from mike in laguna hills hey this is mike from laguna hills just calling for all the trojan fans to say hey let's get some positiveness out there man we got some great things going on we got a new offensive coordinator that's going to score us some points i'm telling you that changes the whole dynamic of this football team. When you can score, everything changes. It's great getting some new, getting Brew back and getting the other receiver back. But uh, bottom line, we got talent there. We got talent all over the place. Clay is evolving as a head coach. I know at SC we don't usually have to get a coach that's going to grow into the position, but hey, he is. He's changing. He's making the changes needed. We got guys in there that actually could actually coach, and that's what we need. Give him a chance, man. It's his last stand. We need everything you got. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. We'll change it next year. But damn it, get back in on the pull of things, man. Stay positive from the great OC. I'm out. I I actually think this is a case of optimistic. Mike from Laguna Hills. <laughs> oh my gosh! No, I love that call though. I but optimistic Alicia is here for it. No, seriously, that was a great, great call. I I'm one thousand percent. On board with Mike. It's it's one of the complaints I've had about the USC fan base this year, this this in 2019. It's like, guys, if the, if it's if the ship is gonna sink, the ship is gonna sink, and there's nothing we can do about it. We don't have to be miserable. While it happens. Like, I'm I've been sitting here all spring thinking, like, man, I just hope USC. You know, I don't I don't want it to turn out badly. Like, I know I've talked about being a, a an accelerationist and all that kind of stuff, but like. Honestly, it, it's it's going to play out the way it's going to play out. And certainly right now, certainly in this episode, we've had plenty of cause to get a little positive. And, and on Rainatro.com last week, I wrote an article about, you know, five reasons to be optimistic. And, and, you know, I'm not pulling that stuff out of my butt or anything like that. Like, I genuinely think there are things that USC fans can be optimistic about if, if you just choose to have a positive attitude. And that positive attitude might get crushed by what happens during the season, but like it'll make for a much more pleasant off season if you're not looking at everything that you see and putting a negative spin on it, like 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 a lot of the people 
in our mentions and in our comment section do. So yeah, I'm I'm here. Great call, Mike. Like I'm here for optimistic Mike and and optimistic everybody. All right, and here's pessimistic Michael to just crush all that. <laughs> Um, no, what I'm what I'm saying is yes, we can sit here and say that Clay Elton is making the moves he needed to make. That doesn't also mean that they're all going to work. Um, it's a matter of him actually doing it. He he's done. You gotta give with, him a chance, though. You you have to give him a chance to actually prove that you know that that that's that the moves were the right moves, right? Um, and I I go back to what we talked about about the Notre Dame game last year. Go in with the idea that you're dead inside. If you didn't like Clay Elton coming back, and again, that's been beaten to a dead horse. We've talked about it a million times, right? Then go into this season dead inside already. Then no matter what happens in the end of the year, it's going to be what you wanted, right? Like Either he's going to crash and burn your new coach, and you're going to feel good about there being change, or he's going to put everything together and things should be in in the right sense. And you're looking at me like you're about to say, well, yeah, there's a middle ground in which they don't look good, but they keep them anyways. No, there is. No, no, no. That's what I wasn't, wasn't what I'm going to say. No, I agree that there is a middle ground. But I was going to say that, like, I think I think if you go into negative, though, you're setting yourself to up to not even enjoy what good things there are if good things happen. And I think that's really the important thing is I I don't know if dead inside is the way that I would describe it, but maybe just like fan bankruptcy, fan bankruptcy. It's exactly fan bankruptcy. Just declare fan bankruptcy. You've cashed out and you're just there for the ride. Like just be. But my thing is like be open to the experience, I guess. Like if bad things happen, then bad things happen. If good things happen, don't let the negativity over like don't let the clouds be the only thing that like. If the sun wants to shine, then enjoy the sunny day if it comes. I think that I think that fans might be setting themselves up to to only see the negative at times, where you don't have to be like rah rah, everything's going to be great for USC going into the season. Uh, the way I'm looking at it is, if things are good, then I'm going to enjoy them. I'm I'm here to see where this goes. I'm here for the journey, and I've accepted that I'm you know just uh, on a little boat out in the middle of the ocean and the waves are going to take me where they take me. Yeah. There's an article that was written about the Washington capitals and it's killing me that I can't find it right now. I'm Googling. Um, but it was written about the Washington capitals before the playoffs last year. Um, and how the, the, the caps had been through so much crap where fans were reluctant to buy in. Right. They were because they just expected more heartbreak. Oh, I, why should I believe in this team? They're just going to rip my heart out again. They're just they're just going to let me down. Or there, you know, there's no reason to to believe that Clay Helton's going to put this together. Or whatever he he's never done it before. Whatever you want to put into your brain and, and say, right? Like all those thoughts can be valid in their own ways. That doesn't mean that you also just can't just enjoy the run for what it is. And if you're the Washington Capitals, the run might win you a Stanley Cup. But like. The the point is that at least experience, allow yourself to potentially experience some highs because if you're only experiencing the lows and just banking on the lows, you're not going to take advantage of of what it is to be a fan when the highs do come. Because even in a bad year, like we've talked about before, I think that 
SC is putting together a team this year that at worst should be Big 12 bad. And that'll be If fun nothing in else a that's that's way. entertaining for what it is, right? Yeah. Like if if they're going to play every game that's going to be in the 40s um and they're going to you know not win them all or anything, that will at least be a step forward from last year's debacle against Cal. Cheer every touchdown. Maybe that's the mentality. Cheer every touchdown. Don't choose not to cheer a touchdown because you say to yourself, oh, it won't matter. The other team's going to score on the next drive anyways. Like, no, just cheer the dang touchdown. Like, enjoy the high while it's there. Don't don't psych yourself out. Which uh, leads us to a Slack message we got from Richard. He sets the time frame. It's Saturday, August 31st, 2019, quote, and in an event expected for weeks now, a few weeks now, but would have been shocking a few months ago, USC was named national champions by the Associated Press. Due to no other team being able to field a team on opening weekend after every eligible athlete in the country transferred to the Trojans over the summer. We're honored to be acknowledged this way, but we really need to get back to work, said Cliff Kingsbury, who surprised the sports world when he abruptly left the Cardinals' head coaching job to return to USC as co-offensive coordinator in late June. USC head coach Clay Elton spent a few minutes talking to the media before also returning to the practice field, turning over question and answer during to new USC athletic director Nick Saban, who put his name into the transfer portal on July 15th, which by that point was a mere formality. That's beautiful. <laughs> That is a beautiful work of art, I think. I mean, from our in Slack the last, channel. the way the last week is going, if you project everything out, I mean, that's kind of the the, the way things are going. It's right? inevitable, Michael. It's absolutely inevitable. It would sure seem so. Uh, let's get to a tweet from Weekend Night Lights, who says, "What do these homecomings say about Graham Harrell's offense? I'm excited to see how this plays out." Uh, I would say that people don't see it as a dead end. Absolutely. I, I think it, it just goes to show that USC recovered from the Cliff Kingsbury saga quite well by getting Graham Harrell, who was able to come in and create a bit of positive energy. And and I just keep thinking back to like, if USC had hired Jed Fish, it, the, I don't think this ha- like I don't think the vibe happens the way that it all happens. But Graham Harrell is it w- was the right hire uh, after Cliff Kingsbury was the right hire, and it just didn't work out. Yeah, it's something to believe in, which I, I think is just a, says a lot about USC, given how the last six months have really played out. It's it's been a weird roller coaster of an off season. Um, that it feels like SC is at the apex of the off season, and in a lot of ways, and that's kind of a good thing. All of a sudden, um, let's go to a voicemail we got from Cameron and Provo. Hey, Randa Troy, it's Cameron from Provo, Utah. I was just wondering, I just have a quick question. So my question is about um, players coming in for summer workouts. I know it's coming up pretty close. I'm just wondering which players are coming into summer workouts and if any of them can have an instant impact on the team coming into week one of the football season. I'm also wondering if of all the players coming in during fall camp, do you feel like any of them can have an instant impact on the team? Thanks and fight on. Thanks for the call as always, Cameron. I think that... If we're, you know, assuming that all the, the I's and the T's get dotted and crossed and all that stuff, Chris Steele is absolutely someone that, you know, uh, Alicia, you mentioned earlier, has all the makings of someone who could come in and be an immediate impact player for USC on defense. On offense, I'm kind of excited to see what the other receivers can do, Drake London and Munir McLean, because they're going to get an opportunity given how much USC is going to use those receivers. 
Absolutely. I think you're right. Uh, the receivers will definitely get early opportunities and they should be present and working out for in some workouts. Uh, someone who's maybe flying under the radar who I'm really excited to see. Can, in... can I guess really quick? Go for it. Keenan Kristen? Yeah, absolutely. I got it. He's not flying under the radar because every other tweet from USC is talking up how he's like breaking track records and all this kind of stuff with his speed. I I haven't necessarily pegged him as somebody who's going to contribute right away for USC because I like the rest of USC's uh, USC's running backs. But given his skill set, given what Mike Jinks likes at the running back position, I'm curious if we talked a little bit about Bayless Jones maybe filling that all-purpose role for USC. Like, maybe that's they find a role for Keenan Kristen early on. I think fall camp is going to be really telling for him. We're going to see, you know, is this a guy we're going to have to wait on a little bit? Or is he a guy that's going to come in instantly and, and, and have an impact? I think he is a guy who now I would peg as sort of keep an eye on him. We'll see how he does. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I, I think he's someone who could fill that role that um, – that Dominic Davis is I've forever has said could play right someone yeah. who who could be like the the running back version of what Velas is as a receiver that all purpose um tag yeah. if you if if you want to call it that the other guy to mention uh, is Drew Richmond the offensive tackle who oh, yeah. is transferring why, in why, from Tennessee why didn't we mention him earlier yeah him yeah yeah he uh you know he was actually one of the first big moves that USC made that was got them on this really big positive role. And I think he's a guy who you have to you have to think he's penciled in as a starting as a starter at this point. Like he, there will be competition with him and Jalen McKenzie. We'll see how it goes. But he's not graduate transferring into USC to ride the bench. Yeah, be interesting. Yeah, he didn't come to play school. I, I, no, wait, <laughs> hold on. No, he, he's a graduate transfer. So yes, he is coming in to play school. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, uh, take a quick break, and then we'll get back to the rest of the mailbag and wrap this thing up. You've got mail. All right, let's go to a voicemail from Dave in Orange County. Great Detroit Radio, what's up? This is Dave from Orange County. Wanted to just call and say how much I, I love the most recent show. I had a nice borg, if you will, of, uh, of topics from the Brew McCoy recruiting uh, a little this or that, a little call, cut, commit, old school faction. Um, also loved your uh, top five movies you most watched. Uh, Alicia loved loved a little throw in there for Fool's Rush In. Um, I love that movie too. Love the line of a you take your If you if you want another Matthew Perry a nineties uh, rom com movie that's a little under the radar, try Three to Tango. It's a great one. Anyway, I wanted to just really call and and, and kind of expand on the conversation we had about Clay Helton and the eight wins. Um, I was just wondering if you guys see a scenario where Clay Helton has only eight wins, but we feel really good about it. I'm thinking maybe. Maybe we lose a couple of the early early games in the season. Maybe there are more little defensive problems um, where where we where our lack of depth or maybe an injury or something causes us to look good offensively, like offense is cranking. And obviously that's Clay Helton's baby. He brought in Graham Harrell and he's letting him do his deal. But maybe defensively we is the reason why we let, we lose a couple of games. But recruiting is is on the upswing. You know we got Jack Yerry yesterday. You know tight ends make uh, Alicia drool. So. If recruiting is up, we win some important games like Notre Dame, UCLA. Our offense looks good all season. Is that a scenario where Clay Helton 
only wins eight games, but we feel good about Clay Helton being the guy and taking it to the next level, maybe get rid of Clancy or just chalk it up to the, you know, to injuries. So I uh, just, just wanted to kick around that scenario. But again, always love it, love it, love the show. And uh, as uh, my man, Top Show Japan would say, fight out. Thanks for the call as always, Dave. I think it's really fascinating to, to come up with these these. Th- theories because it is the context for how these things come to be because yeah i think there's a scenario which sc wins eight games and people feel good about it but it has to be something that trends really positively at the end of the season that's like, why it's you, tough like you you, you have and and that means that you end up starting like two and four and then just come on like gangbusters win the final six dominantly or something like that but to that point is, is Clay Helton going to have rope to survive two and four? I think that what you need to do is recreate the 2016 season because that's essentially what happened. Right. Except that the circumstances aren't there to recreate the 2016 season. And I'll explain. So USC doesn't have Alabama to give them a forgivable loss. Mm-hmm. You have to lose to one of BYU or Fresno State in this scenario. And those are unforgivable losses. I think USC's, the front end of USC's schedule is too stacked in order for the lose early and then get on a roll thing to hold water because USC could lose early and win the final six games and it won't necessarily mean anything. The final six games are Arizona, Colorado, Oregon, ASU, Cal, and UCLA. The only big time matchup in there potentially is Oregon and I, I like unless Oregon is total is undefeated going into that game, maybe that could be the Washington comparison from from 2016. But it's not a road game. Oregon isn't a, a, a team that has been undoubtedly great over the last few years. They're still in a they're, they're still sort of in a phase. And I think that if you if you go through the season and you lose to Notre Dame, Washington, Utah, and Stanford. Those are your four losses to start the season. If you then go on and win the rest of your games, everyone is still able to look back and say, yeah, but you lost all your tough games, so none of these matter. Like, I don't, I, I, like, I was, as I was listening to the question, I was trying to form in my head, how do you get to this scenario where you only win eight games, but people I, I think I think Dave is on to something by saying that you're you're Big Twelve bad in the in the opening six weeks of the season. Mm-hmm. If you're Big Twelve bad and then all of a sudden your defense turns it on and figures itself out later on in the season, then maybe I guess that's as close as you get. But it's because difficult. then you can say that the changes that he made were the right ones, right? I mean, unless it's a unless it's a Jack Sears situation, but then but then at that point, if they make the if they start out with JT Daniels and then jump to Jack Sears and it's the revolution with Jack Sears, this is the second time that that's happened to Helton. So he's not going to get the it's understandable yeah, but, thing. It's you screwed up again. In the scenario that he he plays out that it's the defense laying down earlier, then I don't know that you have to make a quarterback change. I think it's a little bit different. Um, and I've said before earlier in this offseason, I really don't care who the quarterback is. I think this this is an offense that's designed where the it, whoever the quarterback is shouldn't matter. I think the right guy is going to get the job in the sense of the quarterback is going to be put in a position to succeed. And at least that's where I'm banking on, um, at least more so than previous seasons. So whoever it is, great, F- fine, whatever. Um the scenario that I think that is plausible for this, 
Um, hear me out on this. SC beats Fresno State, and the key here is they beat Stanford in Week 2. Um, they look good in those two games. They lose to BYU in a road game, first road game of the season, BYU's game of the season, essentially, right? Like a big home game for BYU on the road. It's a it's a close game. SC loses, let's say, 34-31. It's a close game. The defense has a couple of lapses, but it's not a game that SC performs poorly in. SC rebounds the next week by beating Utah. They have held... too many wins. Hold on. So they're 3-1. and one. They're 3-1 and one through the first four weeks. They lose a, a hard-fought game against a Washington team that ends up being damn good. And they lose on the road against Notre Dame, who ends up being damn good. Two games that SC looks hard done in. Um, they've, they, lose the, they keep those within a score. Uh, they're, they're, you know, they're losing 27-24, whatever. Games that could have gone either way. Games in which SC puts in a performance to where you can't say that they're not playing well against good teams. SC is at 3-3. Three and three. At that point, Clay Helton has done enough to earn himself not getting fired midseason because he's performing against good teams. He's beaten Stanford and he's beaten Utah, which are two huge wins for USC, given everything of the context of the season. You've lost to BYU. You've lost to Notre Dame. They're not in the Pac-12. You're still alive in the Pac-12 South. You still control your own destiny. Now, you start to go on a run. You beat Arizona. You start to look good. You, you have to lose one more game. So let's just say that's Colorado or Cal. And it's another one of those games. It's it's within a short thing. You lose 35-31, whatever it is. You win every other game. You look impressive against Oregon. You blow out UCLA. You have an offense that is chugging. You end up winning the South. You go to the Pac-12 championship game. And you face a team that is on the verge of potentially being a playoff contender. And you put in another performance that's damn good. To the point where you feel like you, you feel like you're on their level. You're you're not being outclassed, and I don't think it would be a crime to bring Clay Helton back at that point. But I still think that you could surely make the argument that, well, at eight and five, you kind of needed to win those close games, even though you lost them, even so, though you look better, even though you can feel good about the progress and, and everything in a general sense would be fine. But you needed more out of five and seven. Coming out of five and seven. The, the scenario that you just laid out is almost literally what USC did in 2015 without the coaching change. Sort of, yeah. Sort of. Kind of. And the, I guess the, the, my... exception, the exception being that they didn't look impressive in 2015. In this, in this scenario, they're looking impressive against, against teams that they win. They look really I impressive. Think, I don't think... Here's my, here's my problem. I think that there's too much baggage with Clay Helton. And I think in any other season, I agree that you could talk yourself into this being positive. But the baggage with Clay Helton, I can just see USC Twitter. I can I can just imagine what USC Twitter will be like and it won't be it won't be good. Yeah, I think it's all going to depend on how good everybody else is and yeah, how good the games look. Because if, let's say Notre Dame and Washington are both playoff teams, and you lose to them by a field goal, it's a completely a different field goal. Yeah. yeah, it's a completely different context, right? Like, yeah, it's different. It's different than losing. It's not the way USC's lost under Helton to those big teams. 
Right. Yeah. It, it's completely different. So it, it's hard to, to, to come up with whatever the reason is because we can sit here and say that eight and five Clay Helton should be fired. But again, I've, like I've well, stated, if he gets to the Pac-12 title game, he's not getting fired. If he wins the South, he's not getting fired. Like that, that I will, I will go to, that is my lock it in lock of the season. If Clay Helton wins the South, he is not getting fired. I still think it depends on how that happens. If the South ends up being a dumpster fire and he backs into winning the South, I don't think it matters. I think I think they're going to give him the credit of winning the South. I think, it all, I think it all depends on the context of how everything plays out. Because the other thing that you have to you have to factor in, one of these teams that we expect to be good will be bad, and one of these teams that is bad will be much better than we think. Happens every single year. Look back at 2016. We talked about how that schedule was a reverse hamburger. All the and meat was in September and, no, and Notre Dame. Uh, September and Notre Dame, September and November, because uh, in November, SC was going to play um, Oregon and then Washington and then UCLA and Notre Dame. And those were going to be really, really good teams back to back to back to back to back. And there was a playoff team in there in Washington, but Oregon went, what was it, three and nine or four and eight. And then uh, Notre Dame went four and eight. UCLA went four and eight. Like all those teams that p- people expected USC to struggle with or potentially struggle with weren't good and sc was able to capitalize on that so that could totally happen everyone thinks that utah is the favorite in the south and they should be at this point on paper utah could be bad sc could be bad sc could be better than we think asu could be terrible asu could be great like these things can always change so there's always flexibility here right but i think the only thing that is inflexible is usc's opinion usc fans opinion of clay helton so, oh yeah, for sure. Because they, if if everything comes to be, it's going to be uh, all the credit goes to Graham Harrell and the credit goes to the players. Yeah, one hundred percent. Let's go to a voicemail we got from Michael in Idaho. Hey guys, this is Michael in Idaho, um, and this may be ancient history at this point, but I wanted to think about the whole scheduling issue. It seems to me that this is, reflects the deterioration that's going on um, with the school's reputation, and you can see it not only in terms of schools that they're willing to play in football and probably other athletics, but also in terms of the whole uproar and scandal about kids buying their way in you know, by being fake athletes. I hope the new president, when she comes in, can stop this downward trend, but it seems to me, like I say, that this willingness to play uh, Cal State Fullerton where I my alma mater if they still had a football team I mean why would 30,000 people want to attend if they even got that many because it's on the schedule uh, yes there'd probably be more tickets sold than that because you have to buy that game as part of the season ticket package but I can't see if there's all that much benefit from it and people watching on TV see an empty stadium and that's not going to help in terms of recruiting uh, if I am an athlete and I have to compare USC schedule against versus what UCLA is doing oh man I'd, I'd rather go uh, do the one-on-ones that UCLA is doing, uh, regardless of Notre Dame. Uh, you're still going to play Stanford because they're also in the Pac-12. So it seems to me like UCLA would have, from a scheduling standpoint, much more to offer. Uh, that's not good. Anyhow, that's it. Uh, hang in there, guys. Uh, fight on. It's got to get better at some point, I hope. Take care. God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks for the call, Michael, as always. This is one of those situations where I, I don't think that if it wasn't for tradition's sake, I don't think we'd be, and if it wasn't for home and homes, I think if we were strictly looking at this like as if we were computers and looking at the numbers and looking at who these teams SC was playing, nobody would have a problem with SC's mantra of potentially playing an FCS team, of playing seven home games because you're going to play Notre Dame and you you got nine 
nine conference games. Like this is essentially the same exact thinking that Florida has. Um, but even more so, um, because Florida didn't have a nine game schedule, uh, in, in the pack, in, in the SEC. The Pac-12 is the nine-game schedule. So Florida, for the longest time, didn't play home and homes out of the state of Florida because they didn't need to because they had Florida State on the schedule. And because they played Georgia in a neutral site game in Jacksonville, the number of home games was important to them, so they had to play mid-majors, and they had to play FCS teams at home to make sure that they had at least six home games, seven home games, and and all that kind of stuff. And, And they were still getting value out of playing a big Power 5 opponent in their rival because their rival is a non-conference game in Florida State. USC is in a very similar situation, but even more so because there's a ninth game in the conference, another team in the conference that USC is playing. So I think numbers-wise and strength of schedule-wise, everything makes sense for what USC wants to do. And I don't think there's a problem with it. I think the problem is the history, and I think the problem is that SC right now is coming off of a 5-7 and seven season. Because if you look at everything else, Steve Lopes is right. Everybody else that goes to the playoff plays FCS teams. Everybody else, with the exception of Notre Dame, that has made it to the playoff has played an FCS team. Uh, Clemson this year plays Wofford. They played Citadel last year. Like, that's what people do. So in terms of recruiting, I don't think someone's going to pick UCLA over SC because SC plays UC Davis and UCLA doesn't because they're not going to pick Notre Dame over Clemson because Clemson played Wofford and Notre Dame played uh, Miami of Ohio. Yeah, I, I agree that recruiting, that, that this isn't really a recruiting issue. But I also don't think that any of those teams that went to the playoff went to the playoff because they scheduled FCS, FCS schools. Like, it just right. so happens that they do that. You can schedule, instead of scheduling Wofford, you can schedule Miami of Ohio and still have just as much of a leverage to beat those teams at home without compromising, you know, the the status of playing a team in a lower level. Yeah, my, my big issue... My big issue is, and I we talked about this at the time, it's USC exceptionalism. Like, I believe in USC exceptionalism. I believe that USC should buy into the idea of USC exceptionalism, and that means not scheduling FCS teams because it makes USC exceptional, because it makes them an exception to the rule, and still getting to the playoff, still figuring out how to get to the playoff, even though you don't have... You, you, even though you don't make it easier for yourself the way that other schools do with the with the FCS thing. Uh, from the fan perspective, I, I also think that losing the home and home is a real tragedy for fans because the 100%. home and home is 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 something that you do give your fan base something. I mean, especially coming away from what was a great home and home outside of the game, going to Austin was great. Like that was such a great trip, and so now USC fans aren't going to get that trip. And I know that the Notre Dame game and the weekender are basically the trade off there, but like. Like we talked about at the time, I would trade the weekender for better, you know, the big home and home. So I think that, that's kind of where I come from is just like, I'm sad in that I, I think that Michael does hit on the right point that this is a sign of USC chipping away at the concept of USC exceptionalism in a small way that's ultimately not going to be super relevant, but it still feels... Like, it's a sign of that to me. Yeah, which is why I think that you can do both of these things at the same time. You, you can put yourself in a position to have seven home games and you can lose the home and homes because of the rationale you're gonna you're building without having to still play FCS teams. Yeah. And in a perfect world, 
if you drop down to eight conference games, um, which I think I'm becoming more and more and more of an advocate for, especially with this kind of stuff, if you drop down to eight conference games, then you could have that home and home again yeah. with somebody else. And and then your home and home, instead of it being someone from the Pac-12 North, then it's somebody from the Big Ten. Does that make yeah, sense? I, the, the other thing that grates is that the, F, the FCS thing in particular grates because it feels like it is coming about because USC screwed up. If they had just taken care of the scheduling earlier... It wouldn't be an issue, but because they left it so late, mm-hmm. they are now backed into this requirement, essentially. And I think that's what greats in particular is that USC is going to lose the FCS thing, the never played FCS things, because they just dropped the ball. They they just because they just they they left these open dates for too long. Like that's that's disappointing. If nothing else, they at least allow that to be the perception. Because if this was the plan from years ago, and that's why they stopped uh, scheduling home and homes, that once the Pac-12 went to nine home games, and and they decided years and years ago that you know it was Pat Hayden who came out and maybe had the uh, the internal philosophy of we're going to try to get seven home games. If that has been the thing for years and years and years, they didn't do a good job of selling it. Because then I think they could have just sold that that idea more so. Because that idea, in in principle, is not a bad idea. Like, that is totally fine. I don't think anyone's arguing the idea of, of wanting to have seven home games. Like, that makes sense. You want seven home games. You want seven home gates. You want all that kind of stuff. 100%. But they're just making that argument way too late to the point where now you can just sit here and say, "Yeah, but you're going to have to play an FCS team because you didn't you didn't plan." Maybe if they did, they didn't play the game enough to let us know that this was the plan all along. Like they could have could have scheduled those FCS teams 3 years ago and at least, you know, at least it would have been the plan, I guess. Yeah. But maybe I don't know. Maybe they think it's better that oh, our hands are tied and we have to schedule FCS teams rather than we want to schedule FCS teams. And maybe if that was the other way, we'd be bemoaning that sense. Well, people will be mad either way, but... Well, eh. yeah, for sure. But uh, let's go back to Michael. He had another call. Hey, guys, this is Michael in Idaho. I am so football-deprived at this point. Things have gotten so bad that I'm actually listening on Sirius XM to the UCLA-Oklahoma Women's Softball World Series... And I'm wondering why the hell UCLA is doing in there. And they're in there instead of SC, of course. And I'm also wondering if I should root for the Pac-12. I mean, as low as things are for the Pac-12, I guess maybe I better. Anyhow, that's it. Hope you're all having a good spring. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for the call, as always, Michael. We, we seriously are right there with you. Football deprived. It's been a long off season. It has been more than six months since SC played a football game. That's, that's a long time. That is a long, long time. And yeah... Yeah, Michael's Michael's getting real real up there if he's uh if he's listening to softball. Uh especially UCLA softball. You don't you don't like listening to softball? I don't think I've ever listened to a softball game in my life. Um I, I not that I watch like the College World Series either, but definitely not the College Softball World Series. I I, I especially not if UCLA were involved. I just can't Bring my, that's the one thing I can answer for certain with Michael in Idaho is this. This is not a, you know, Pac-12, Pac-12, Pac-12 issue, 
because USC and UCLA are in contention for the most national titles across all sports in history. USC trails UCLA at this at this, at this stage, but they're not so far behind that they couldn't catch up. So I cannot root for UCLA to win a national title in any sport because that's one national title more that they step ahead of USC and 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 keep that gap open for the total lead all time. So that's my philosophy on that one. Mm, it's like when Manchester United wins the league again, then there'll be one more ahead of Liverpool. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's like when, when Liverpool wins their seventh Champions League title, there'll be one more Champions League ahead of everyone else in the Premier League combined. The point of this is... Uh, we can go into my rant about UCLA softball. You want to hear it? What's that? I take umbrage with SC not having a softball team and UCLA having one. With UCLA not having a swimming team, but SC having one. With it's weird. SC having women's soccer, but UCLA having men's soccer. Like The way that these things are makes it very difficult to have a rivalry. So you and can't I- actually go head to head. You can't actually go head-to-head, and I think that it's also a reason why I don't value their dominance. Like, UCLA is so dominant in men's soccer. For the longest time, they were dominant in men's soccer. They were kind of a pipeline to the U.S. national team, and they've been dominant forever in in UCLA softball. You're going to tell me that if SC didn't have a softball team, that they wouldn't also be good? That I mean, you look at the powerhouses in softball. Who is it? It's UCLA. It's Arizona. It's the Oklahoma schools. Which makes you wonder why doesn't USC have a soft a women's softball team? That's like it doesn't me. make it doesn't why, make any sense. Why does Cal have field hockey? Like <laughs> I've always I've always been mad that USC USC doesn't have a official men's soccer team. Like. These are sports that USC should absolutely be fielding a, a, an official team in. Like, they right. have club teams, but, like, come on. Yeah, I'm okay with not having a gymnastics team because gymnastics is garbage. But, <laughs> but like, softball, you could have a softball team. That'd yeah. be great. It would be awesome. And have a men's soccer team. It, it, would, be, it, it would be good. But, yeah, I, I, I'm with you, Michael. I, I'm, I'm ready for... Um, I'm ready for football season, 100%. Uh, let's go to an email we got from Keith. Having a lot of fun listening to your answers on the heist in the last podcast. Michael was missing the point completely. Thank you. No, not wrong. Uh, and Keith says, here are my picks and why of who he would put together in a heist, uh, who his heist team would be. He says, Coach Harvey Hyde is the media leader. He's the next is the nose guy who can plan the perfect play. My alternate would be Gerard Martinez. Uh, his four players would be number one, Jake Olson. Nobody would suspect a charismatic blind guy is a bad guy. So he would be the ultimate distraction. The alternate, Jake's dog, Quebec. Duh. Number two, Pat Hayden, a smart quarterback. So he thinks on his feet and could make an audible if needed. So he is the center of the heist, alternate, Matt Leinart or Carson Palmer. And number three is Zach Banner, the enforcer. But he's funny enough to be distracting, so he would put people at ease while they are unknowingly getting robbed. Plus, he is so dang big that not many would mess with him. Alternate, Ron Yeri. And the last player is Stephen Carr. 
He can catch and is fast, and so if anything goes down, he can take the money and run. Alternates, Dominic Davis for you, Michael, or just Reggie Bush. I can think of so many others, or we're certainly change out a few of those but this would be fun to watch happy weekend keith thank you for the thank you for the email keith and i think those are excellent choices i particularly like the jake olson shout like that is that is a plus that is exceptional work there as far as uh jake would absolutely be able to pull off just being being uh, the charismatic blind guy who nobody expects and 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 could just get in and get out and, and get whatever he needed to, to do. It, it, you know, if he wanted to be an evil genius there, he would absolutely do it. I think the rest of your picks are on point, too. And I think that they would give my heist team a uh, a pretty pretty good run for their money, too. All right. I still have faith in, in Bryce Dixon. You're, you're all Jack criminal Jones. team. Uh, yeah. All bad criminal team <laughs> is, uh Yeah. Fine. Jesse Pinkman. Give me Jesse Pinkman. Uh, I just watched Breaking Bad, Bad, so I I had to throw Jesse Pinkman in there. Um, Anyways, uh, we got a tweet from Ryan, who also commented on this. Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. You might know him. He says, thanks, Alicia, for picking me to be the criminal mastermind of the USC football media. To which you said, Alicia, see, it is a compliment. And Ryan said, 100%, it's a compliment. Michael is crazy, as you know. I'm offended. All true. All true. No, I'm not offended. I'm glad he's not offended, to be honest. I knew I, you wouldn't be offended. Some Who knows? Some people might get offended at that kind of stuff. You never know. Well, people get offended at the word stolen, so, you know, how it goes. Yeah, should, 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 we, should we talk about this? How we, we tweeted the word stolen and have been told that it wasn't good to use the word stolen okay we made a pun when usc got chris Steele. we tweeted it and we made a pun per the oregonian usc has stolen five-star cornerback florida transfer chris Steele from oregon and some people took offense to that because it's i i i I don't i don't know what the offense is I, i it's it it was he was committed to oregon he was literally in Oregon signing financial aid papers and USC flipped him. Like, if that's not a steal, I don't know what it is. Regardless of whether or not the kid's last name is also steal. Mm-hmm. <sighs> people, we, this is why we can't have nice things because people got to nitpick. People got to nitpick the tiniest little biggest news of the summer for USC. Biggest news to kick off the summer. USC getting a legitimate five-star corner who could start for the team. And, and we're over here picking apart grammar and, and and diction on Twitter. I mean, I guess we could have said, here's a steal. USC gets Chris Steele. There you go. I mean, I, I guess that could have worked. I, I there are know. a lot of ways to make the pun. I just think that like it's funny that people are taking offense to the word stolen as though we're insulting Chris Steele, who is is like we're glowing about him at this stage like no insult meant i don't know or or some people say it's a wrong word choice for the for the pun i don't know like stolen is the past tense of steel so also you don't want to be so obvious with it like if you if you say usc usc steals chris steel like there's there's a lot going on there that's way too heavy-handed yeah it's trying too hard yeah, you can't try this so hard. Yeah, it's bad enough that the headline on RayonTroy.com is Chris Steele ducks Oregon. 
which I enjoy. That headline. Mm-hmm. Well done, Michael. Yeah, I'll be here all week. Yeah. Uh, anyways. This is, this is why I let you write headlines. <laughs> anyways, we're going to wrap things up right there. I uh, will be back later in the week over on Patreon with that uh, Superstition podcast, which we're going to put that on Patreon uh, this week. Uh, I think we might drop it later on in the summer over on the free side of things. But you can sign up to listen to us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. We also just bought a bunch of stickers to send out uh, to our patrons. Um, so we'll be sending out those stickers if you are a Patreon subscriber. Be looking for those if you haven't gotten a sticker yet. Be looking for those in the next few weeks. Patreon.com slash Reign of Troy is where you can subscribe for as little as five fifty-five a month. Um, as always, you can email us at reignoftroyatfansign.com for your questions, uh, for ad inquiries, or anything that's on your mind. Our phone number is 213-373-1872 and you can catch us on Apple Podcasts. See, I didn't say iTunes at the time. There you go. Stitcher, uh, Spreaker, TuneIn, Overcast, or wherever else you may find your podcast along with Spreaker. So, I think I might have said Spreaker already. I don't know. What's your final word? Just, let's just go in that direction. The final word is stolen. As in Clay Helton's famous phrase, drive it like you're stolen. There you go. Yeah. There you go. In this sense, drive it like you're stealing it. Exactly. Because that's apparently a more palatable version of that word. Sure. Hmm. All right. Until next time, we'll see you. See ya. See ya. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.